times, actually a few times as we started into the big COVID deal, and that is sermon by video. Um, so we don't do this a lot, uh, but we thought this was very interesting, and Kurt wanted to tie up his uh, sermon on shoes, and hopefully you're all wearing shoes today. Um, but he's going to tie that up today, and we're gonna, it's not live, but we are on location in Israel, and he's going to share that message with you today. Amen? So take it away, Kurt. Well, this is pretty amazing, isn't it? If you uh, ever get the chance to come to see these lands in your own eyes, I would encourage you to do so. Over the last few days and for the next few more, I've been able to be here with 25 other people from our Crossroads family, along with a couple extended members of our Crossroads family and a couple from Texas that have so graciously joined us and come along. And we've been here with our uh, domestic guide from, from Oklahoma, Brent, and, and our amazing Israeli guide, Ron, and, and uh, bus driver, Benny, taking us all across the, the Holy Land. And today we find ourselves right here along the Sea of Galilee. I can't think of a better place to wrap up our series, Shoes, that we've been in the past five weeks, and we'll wrap up today for our sixth week, where we've looked at people who walked with Jesus and looked at how their lives changed and were transformed by simply walking with Jesus. We looked at someone like Nicodemus, a man who might have put on a pair of wingtip shoes and, and, and learned to embrace humility. We looked at a man like John the Baptist who would have maybe worn a pair of sandals or flip-flops who uh, exemplified humility. His entire life was lived pointing people toward Jesus. Or maybe the Roman centurion in his work boots who simply had the faith to trust in Jesus. We looked at a woman wearing a pair of stilettos, the, the Samaritan woman at the well who came with questions, whose life was a mess, but simply knew she needed something and Jesus was there for her. And last week, uh, Matt looked at Mary, put on a pair of, of slip-on shoes, some mom shoes, so to speak, to look at how pivotal a mom was in the life of Jesus as well, too. Uh, today, as we wrap up this series, we're actually going to take our shoes off and we're gonna go on this body of water behind me and we're gonna walk with Jesus on top of the water. Uh, this is a story that, that talks about how we can take a risk for Jesus. I know sometimes the idea of taking a risk is polarizing in nature. Uh, maybe, maybe for you, the idea of taking a risk brings you anxiety, but some people love to do it. We might call them adventurous or driven or, or somebody who likes to live life on the edge just a little bit. You thrive on the adrenaline rush that comes with stepping out of your comfort zone and walking and, and doing something that pushes you to the limits. Now others, maybe you avoid a risk at all costs. You might be considered cautious or you might be considered guarded. You're steady and you just kind of like things the way that, you, that they are. You don't need to go out and do anything wild or crazy. And again, maybe the idea of taking a risk actually brings you some anxiety. It brings you some unease in your life and, and you just can't possibly think about that. But today what we wanna do is push that and talk about how our faith actually should lead you to taking a risk, specifically a risk for Jesus. And to do this, we're gonna talk about a man that walked with Jesus for a very long time. In fact, a man who probably made his home just a few feet from where I'm currently standing in the town of Capernaum. This is the hometown of Peter. It's where he came from. And on the rocks just behind me to my left is where Peter was called by Jesus to come follow him in Luke chapter five. But Peter is one who is known as a man who never hesitated to take a risk. 
a man who never hesitated to step out and be bold. Sometimes we could call that brashness. He was strong-willed and enthusiastic, never hesitated to do what he thought needed to be done or what he thought ought to be done. And what you find with Peter and, and so many people who take a risk is that often Peter got in his own way. Sometimes he was a little too quick. We might say that he put the cart before the horse, or maybe he was a ready-fire-aim kind of person. Somebody who was very quick to do what he thought needed to be done with maybe not taking the time to think all the way through it each and every single time. But with Peter, what we're going to see is that sometimes those risks had great rewards, and sometimes they caused him to fall flat on his face. Uh, they were well-intentioned, yes, and more times than not, they probably weren't successful, at least in the Gospels. And when they failed, often they ran the risk of failing more than just Peter. But many of his risks turned out to be good. Many of his challenges that he put on himself actually turned out to be something that he could be praised for and something that we as the church benefited from. In fact, when you read to the Gospels, and Acts, you see this contrast of good and bad risky moves that Peter made all the time. Some of them were great, some of them maybe not so great. Some of those we, we, we might pump our fist and go, yes, go Peter, go. And some of those we just kind of shake our heads and go, come on Peter, really? But yet we're often the same way. When it comes to Peter and taking good risks and bad risks, dumb risks and smart risks, often we see a wide range of those, but there's one event that he did that actually puts all of that together, good and bad, smart and dumb, and we see it in one event that took place on the water right behind me. Uh, you know the moment. Even people who aren't very familiar with the Bible and don't know much about Jesus probably have heard the story that Jesus walked on water. Uh, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 14 if you've got your Bibles and you'd like to follow along, but to kind of sum this up just a little bit, uh, Jesus has just very recently learned about the death of John the Baptist, his cousin that we talked about a couple of weeks ago. And Jesus, like so many of us would like to do, Jesus wanted time to grieve, but the crowds followed him. They, they didn't want to give him that time. They needed him. And Jesus, being Jesus, took care of them. And in fact, just behind me here at Tapa, Jesus fed the multitudes, 5,000 men plus women and children, with just two fish and five loaves of bread. It says after the meal that Jesus sent the disciples on a boat to go across the lake here, and that he retreated on a mountainside by himself to pray. And Matthew just so casually mentions that in the middle of the night, as the disciples are out on the boat in the middle of the sea, Jesus walked across the water coming towards them. Now just pause for a moment here. Uh, you can see a part of the lake here behind me. It extends that direction a lot further than it does behind me, but just think for a moment, maybe if I were to just step out of the frame for a moment here, if you were to see somebody just walking across the water behind me, what would you think of that? Like, what would your reaction to that be? It probably wouldn't be, oh, hey, look, there's Jesus walking on the water. It would probably be, what in the world am I looking at? That's kind of what the disciples reacted with. In fact, in verse 26 of Matthew 14, it says, When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and they cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, Take courage, it is I. Do not be afraid. Uh, don't lose sight of those three words that might seem very simple, but yet they're very, very powerful. 
it is I. Jesus is reminding them who he is, especially right there in that moment. Now, often we look at the disciples and, and especially guys like Peter and we roll our eyes at them and think, man, how could they have missed something so obvious? But I'll be very honest, I think I would have reacted just like them. Because after all, even if you look at Jesus and you believe that he is the Messiah, you believe that he is the Son of God, that he's God in flesh on the earth and he's walking alongside you with you. I mean, do you honestly expect to see him walking on top of the water? Like we've seen him maybe raise people from the dead. Okay, I get that. We've seen Jesus perform miracles, turning water into wine. Okay, I, I could see that. But I, I, in my head, I'm thinking, I, I want to see what Jesus does with another person next or with another object next. I'm not expecting him to walk across the water coming to you, especially in the middle of the night when the wind and the waves were, were very strong that particular night. I, I can't imagine... But I think Peter's response from Jesus, if you know the story of Peter, is exactly what you would expect him to be. Because in the midst of them being afraid, in the midst of them trying to figure out what in the world is going on, look at how Peter responds. Verse 28, Peter responds to Jesus saying, Lord, if it is you, tell me to come to you on the water. He's like, okay, sure, it's you, Jesus. Prove it by letting me walk on the water to you. I think that's such a gutsy thing for anybody to say to Jesus. But yet Peter was never one to hold back. But I love how Jesus responds. He just calls Peter on it. Okay, come, he says. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. Pause for just a second here. It's one thing to think that Jesus, God in flesh, walked on the water. But now here is Peter who is just as human as you and I am. And here he is walking on the water because Jesus told him to. I don't know that Jesus reached out, you know, and, and used the spirit of God to help Peter walk on the water or not. I don't think that was the case. I think it's just simply, he told Peter, you can do this and Peter did this. I, I don't know. But either way, here's Peter walking across the water to Jesus. But look at verse 30. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Uh, something you might know about this lake, you might not. I, I call it a lake. It's, we, we call it the Sea of Galilee, but this is a freshwater uh, body here. And what you may not understand about this is just exactly where we're at here. Now, you, if you don't know much about Israel's topography, I'm currently almost 700 feet below sea level. This is a very low spot. And in fact, uh, on this trip, we're actually going to go to the lowest spot on earth, which is about uh, may, maybe 50, 60 miles south of here at the Dead Sea. But the Sea of Galilee is also extremely low elevation, one of the lowest places that you could find. And because of the elevation of the lake, and as you can see behind me, there are mountains surrounding the Sea of Galilee on all sides. This is not a large body of water. In fact, we have some lakes back home that probably are bigger than this, uh, not too far from, from Kansas City. But because of the mountains around this lake, and because of the elevation, wind, as you probably have heard a little bit through my microphone, is pretty prevalent here. And it's not uncommon for a storm to come in over the top of the mountains down to the water and to, to the water to get very turbulent. In fact, in some cases, potentially to get deadly. This is also where Jesus calmed the storm from the boat, was out here on this body of water. So it's not necessarily uncommon, yet these men, who half of them were fishermen, on this boat, 
are in the middle of the, the, the wind and the waves, and Peter gets a little bit scared by this. Peter is walking towards Jesus. He's no longer in the boat, and suddenly the wind and the waves get his attention and draw his eyes away from Jesus. In this moment, this is where we see Peter's gamble start to fail. Uh, we, we see his, his risk initially pay off, but then he starts to sink into the water. And through this moment in time, we see a, a glimpse of why and how some of Peter's great risks might have failed. Uh, just look through the Gospels. They're littered with times that Peter was bold and brash and it didn't work out very well for him. Matthew 16, after Jesus predicts his own death, Peter pulls him aside, like Jesus has predicted in front of the disciples that he's going to die. Peter pulls him aside and is like, no, I'm not going to let that happen to you. No, I'll protect you. I will take care of you. And this is where Jesus very famously tells Peter, get behind me, Satan, like, like he wants no part of this very quickly rebukes him. In the next chapter in Matthew 17, the transfiguration, Jesus uh, appears with Moses and Elijah, two great figures from the Old Testament. And Peter wants to build three tabernacles, one for each of them. He, he doesn't get it, right? Like, like he thinks they're really there and they're there to stay. So he wants to, to build something to honor all three of these men. Uh, we, we go on in John chapter 18, Peter is, is with Jesus in the garden of Gethsemane and Jesus is about to be arrested and Peter takes out his sword and he cuts off the ear of one of the Roman soldiers. Or maybe in Matthew chapter 26, after Peter has very famously told Jesus, I won't be one to betray you, like, you know, like Judas is going to. And, and Jesus tells him that he will anyway. And then we see in Matthew 26, out on the patio at Caiaphas's house, Peter three times denies even knowing who Jesus is because he fears for his own life. These are just a few examples, and there are plenty more because that's just Peter. Maybe you're like this. You take a risk, you take a gamble, knowing some of them aren't going to pay off for you, but it doesn't keep you from making that risk and that gamble any other time. The question for me on these examples is not that they failed. The question is, is what caused them to fail? Why did they fail? Why did these decisions and actions that Peter took turn out so poorly for him? And maybe it's the same question for you. If you take a risk, why does it fail? What causes it to? I think in this case, it wasn't a lack of confidence. It wasn't a lack of being willing to step out in the moment. And I don't think it was simply, the, 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 I don't think it was simply a, a matter of Peter just not having what it took. I think he had what it took. I think Peter had everything that it took. After all, that famous statement where he tells Jesus that he'll protect him. Shortly before that statement, Jesus has told Peter, you're the rock on which I'm going to build my church. Jesus thought very highly of Peter, obviously. I think the answer of why Peter sometimes failed, and specifically when he was walking on this water behind me, why he failed is very, very simple. Go back and look at verse 30. When he saw the wind, he was terrified. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Think about this for a moment. Peter has walked from the boat all the way to Jesus. I don't know how far this is. Maybe this is a few feet. Maybe this is a, a considerable distance. I, I don't know. I know that I'm not the best swimmer in the world, so I wouldn't even want to swim very far from a boat to somebody out there. So I don't know how far Peter has gone on this journey, but it says that he got to Jesus. He walked all the way to him, and then he starts to notice the storm around him. Does that sound familiar? Have you been walking with Jesus and suddenly then you notice the storm? 
then you see everything else that's going on around him. The situation around him in his life sidetracked him from Jesus, and that's when he started to sink. That's when he started to go down. Everything was fine until he took his eyes off of Jesus. This is such a common situation for us. And let's take Jesus out of it for just a moment and get very practical. How many times have you just been driving down the road on a very common path? Maybe you're just going home, a path that you take every single day, and you take your eyes off of the road for just a moment. You get sidetracked maybe by a new looking building off to the side or a nice vehicle that you pass, or maybe just one of those terrible things you can't take your eyes off of. But you see something, just something, just enough, and you've got to overcorrect your car. Uh, for me, it's always been either looking for animals off to the side of the road, like a deer, or, or maybe looking at, at a, a pond to see if there's any geese or ducks on it. But when we take our eyes off the road, that's where the danger is. Uh, just a few days ago was the sixth anniversary of a motorcycle wreck that should have taken my dad's life. He's a very experienced motorcycle rider and was with a group of friends out in eastern Arizona riding uh, through some mountain terrain, some beautiful country. But they were riding on a road that was not a dangerous road whatsoever. It was actually kind of between mountains. It was very wide on a very, very narrow curve. Nothing even really worrisome. But my dad noticed some elk up on the side of the mountain saw them, was pointing them out to the guys behind them. They had radios in their ears. His wasn't working that day, but he started pointing. And as he did, he took his eyes off the road and his bike just drifted, little by little by little. And because his earpiece wasn't working that day, the, the guys behind him couldn't get his attention until he was off the road. And his bike went off the, the lip of the, the asphalt. that was a couple inches, and that was all it took. His bike flipped over 20 times. My dad's body shot across the land and hit and bounced, broke 19 bones, should have taken his life. I'm very grateful that it didn't. God had plans for his life that I'm still seeing play out in front of me. But all it took was just a second of his eyes drifting from where they were supposed to be. And that's, that was it. His success became failure in a split second. I think sometimes with Jesus, it's the exact same way. We can be walking with Jesus for a long time, but sometimes our eyes drift off of, of the, the, the focus and the goal, but our foot doesn't come off the gas pedal or our hand doesn't come off the accelerator. And when you do that, you run the risk of damage to yourself and also to those around you at times too. Peter took his eyes off of Jesus far too many times, not because he didn't trust Jesus, not because he didn't love Jesus, simply because he got a little too caught up in what it is that he was doing right in front of him at the time. And the reason I think it was so easy for him to take his eyes off of Jesus, I think despite walking with Jesus for that long, he didn't fully understand who Jesus was. Go back to John chapter 13. John chapter 13 takes place actually uh, quite a, a long time, even possibly a couple of years after this moment here on the lake. This is the night that Jesus gets arrested. It's, it's at the end of the story of Jesus on earth. It's the story of the disciples in the upper room with Jesus. They have just had the last supper. And at some point during the meal, an argument breaks out and Jesus begins to wash the feet of the disciples around him to quell this argument. They're arguing over who's the greatest, which one of them is the most important out of the 12. And as they're, they're arguing, Jesus 
does the most ridiculous thing. He washes their feet. It's ridiculous because they should have been washing his, but he's trying to prove a point. See, Jesus never, never failed to use an object lesson. And, and while we read these sometimes and think of these as metaphor, for Jesus, it was very practical. It was things right around them all the time. And so he washes their feet, which was the role of a slave. And as he's washing their feet, Peter gets a little defensive about this. And he tells Jesus in John 13, you shall never wash my feet. And Jesus answers, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Now, now, that's not enough because look how Peter replies to this. Peter's like, okay, I'll play along. He goes on to say this, well then, not just wash my feet, but wash my whole body. Wash my head and my, my hands as well, he says. He's thinking, okay, well, Jesus, if you need to, to teach me a lesson about humility, well, then okay, here I am. Do whatever you need to do with me. He doesn't get it. He doesn't get it. And often I think we're the same way. We just simply don't get it. We're not on the same page with Jesus despite our best efforts. And because of that, because of Peter not being on the same page with Jesus, maybe because of us not always being on the same page with him, his enthusiasm and his strong-willed nature led to impulsive, brash overconfidence at times. And sometimes I think that even can be a brash overconfidence in Jesus. No, hear me out. Jesus can do anything, but sometimes I think we get ahead of ourselves in our faith with him. That's what Peter is doing here. And I can say this because I've done the same thing. I've tried to step out and do things in the name of Jesus, but it wasn't time for me yet. It wasn't the time or the place, and they failed spectacularly. And that's exactly what we're seeing here with Peter. His risks and decisions turned out bad because he thought of himself and his own desires first, even if it was in the name of Jesus. And because of this, we can make this statement about Peter. He failed because his humanity became bigger than his faith. You ever been there? You, you fail because what you believe about yourself and those around you actually can become bigger than what you believe about Jesus. And I think we see this with, with, with Peter here. In that time, with both Peter and sometimes with us, his strengths ultimately became his limitations. That's a risk for all of us. Too often, we're the same way. What causes us to succeed eventually can drive us to failure. What causes us to do great things can eventually cause things to fall apart. Uh, the drive that can cause a business to grow and do well can eventually lead to a, an overconfidence that leads that business to plateau or fall apart. The compassion that leads to helping others sometimes can lead to you being taken advantage of. Uh, sadly, for, for so many of us, when those failures come, our strengths get packed away and put away. And because of failures, our, our chances of taking another risk start to dwindle. We see this too often. In Peter's case, his desire to jump out and say what he feels needs to be said or done gets in the way, and ultimately he winds off looking sometimes like a fool. Sometimes Peter looks like a complete buffoon rather than the leader that he's eventually going to become. Again, maybe in Peter's case, it just wasn't quite the time and the place, but he went for it anyway. The good news with Peter's story is we knew and we know that didn't attract him. That didn't keep him from continuing to trust, continuing to have faith, and continuing to live and do things in the name of Jesus. We see throughout the rest of his story that his, his risks become good. 
his risks paved the way for us to eventually, as, as non-Jewish people, to eventually come to know Jesus. He helps build and lead the church. We see this as we flip from the Gospels into the book of Acts. Peter living a life of boldness through his faith. Not boldness that would produce faith, but instead he allowed his faith to produce boldness. And, and we see this specifically in Acts chapter 1. This period that we're in right now in our calendar, it's between the, the, the day of the Ascension and Pentecost. Pentecost is still a few days away. The Ascension of Jesus was 40 days after his resurrection. Pentecost came 10 days later. We're actually in that period on our calendar right now. But in that, those 10 days, the disciples, they weren't necessarily lost, but they were kind of aimless. They didn't really know what to do next. They were fully bought in with Jesus at this point, but they don't know what's next. And it's Peter in Acts chapter one who steps up and says, all right, here's what we're gonna do. Here's what we need to do. And he leads the disciples in prayer and, and starts taking his first major steps, leading the apostles, leading the church. In Acts chapter two, the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit shows up and people are speaking in languages and, and they're hearing everybody else's languages in their, their native tongue. And in the midst of this, you could just say craziness or chaos, it's Peter who steps up and delivers a sermon, the very first Christian sermon in, in the history of our church, delivers it in Acts chapter two. And it's Peter that people come to and say, what do we need to do to get this? And Peter's the one who answers them, repent and be baptized. In Acts chapter four, Peter's with John and they're arrested by the priests and the Sadducees for preaching the name of Jesus in the temple courts. And, and yet they're unmoved. They go back in Acts chapter four to their people, to, to, to the disciples and the people who are following Jesus. And they pray. And instead of praying for protection or praying for their enemies to fail, they pray for boldness. They pray that God would continue to work through them and to bless them. And then in Acts chapter five, they go right back to the temple courts and keep doing what they're doing. And when the, the priests and the, the Sadducees and the leaders come to them again and say, stop doing this. In fact, it says in Acts chapter five, verse 25, someone came and told the priests, look, the men whom you put in prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people. And the priests come and they warn them again, don't do this again. And in verse 28, Peter replies, we must obey God rather than men. That's boldness. That is a, a, a bravado that doesn't come from his own humanness. It comes through his faith in Jesus. Then in Acts chapter 11, we see perhaps Peter's greatest example of boldness. Because Peter in Acts chapter 11 realizes that his commitment to, to doing things by tradition has been holding him back from reaching the people that Jesus called him to reach. So in Acts chapter 11, Peter takes maybe the biggest risk of all. He admits that he's wrong. Let me ask you a question. Do you have the boldness that leads to humility to admit that you're wrong when you come to that realization? See, Peter not only admits that he's wrong and accepts that he's wrong, he goes back to his people and he convinces them, guys, we've been doing this the wrong way. Jesus is for everyone, not just for the Jewish people, not just the people who adhere to Jewish custom and Jewish tradition. He's for everyone. That's not an easy conversation to have. And I might dare say that's the biggest, biggest amount of boldness you could have is a boldness through faith that leads to humility. That might be the biggest risk that any of us can take. So what changed? What changed in Peter that his risks ultimately started to become successful 
as opposed to failing. I think he finally began to understand who Jesus truly was. He began to understand what Jesus meant when he said that he was the son of God. But he didn't understand Jesus until he had seen Jesus risen from the dead. He didn't understand that until ultimately Jesus in John 21 comes to Peter and three times tells him to lead his flock. Three times he says, do you love me? Then feed my sheep. I think he asked him three times because three times Peter denied him before. And he wants him to be sure that he understands what's, what's going on. And once Peter accepts that, once Peter goes along with that, he quits taking his eyes off of Jesus. He quit making decisions, thinking for himself and thinking by his own strength. And instead, he started thinking through the cross. And when Peter does that, the narrative gets flipped. And suddenly, we see that his faith once again became bigger than his humility. And we see the flip of what happened earlier. The Holy Spirit turned his limitations back into strengths. The same thing can happen to us. And it can happen for us and through us if we're willing to fully trust God and allow the Spirit to guide us and lead us. And that might be the biggest risk of all. Let's get practical for a minute. How do we do this? How do we take a risk? You might say, I love taking risks. I try to do it all the time. But now you're saying maybe I should wait. How do we do this? I, I think sometimes it's simpler than we think. Sometimes it's maybe a little more complicated than we think. Maybe you're on the other side of this. Maybe you're the one needing to take a risk. You've been holding back and maybe you felt God tugging on your heart. But you want to know, how can I do this? I, I think we can look at this in four simple steps. Number one, you have to have boldness. I get it. You might not, you might be a person that's content, but you've got to have boldness. You can't take a risk unless you're willing to ask God for something bigger than what you currently are, are, are doing or have in front of you. You can't take a risk unless you're willing to step out in faith. And faith means stepping in a place that you can't always see or doing something that you don't normally do. Every successful risk uh, and risk taker throughout history has found the courage to take that first step. Uh, I love the biblical definition of faith, that it's evidence of the things that we hope for. Okay, if you're hoping for it, there can't be evidence for it. Or it's proof of things that you can't see. If you can't see it, there's not proof, right? But I love how Dr. Martin Luther King summarized it and paraphrased Hebrews 11 verse one, when he said, faith is taking the first step even when you cannot see the whole staircase. So find the boldness to take your first step and being okay with not knowing where that first step is ultimately going to lead. The second step you have to do is you have to have an end goal. You take the, the, the have the boldness, number one, but number two, you have to have an end goal. Where do you want your step to lead? Now, let me be clear. It might not go there, but where do you want it to go? You have to have a plan, have an end goal, know what it is that you hope to accomplish. I, sometimes I'm not very good at this. I'm good at starting in a direction and thinking, I've got a general idea. No, have an end goal and be specific on what you want. Again, it may not turn out that way, but at least have a focus. It'll help keep you focused on the risk that you're taking. It'll help keep you focused and keep your eyes drifting from side to side. Again, look at what's in front of you. At least look at what your next step is going to be. The more you do this, the more you'll keep your eyes off of the circumstances around you and keep them on Jesus instead. Number three, this is a big one, throw out your backup plan. 
we, we love having backup plans. We love having a plan B. But ultimately, you've got to let that go. Not having a plan B, it forces you to keep moving forward. It forces you to keep going forward without having something to fall back on. Uh, when we moved from Phoenix, we, we spent a year in Phoenix, and then we moved to Oregon to jump into ministry. And when we did this, uh, we... We sold our house in Oklahoma. We still owned our house in Oklahoma the year we were in Phoenix. Part of it was it was a bad market to sell, but part of it too, we, we just, we weren't sure what was coming next. But as we moved to Oregon and, and we, we got ready to move, we sold our house. I had been teaching high school. I let my teaching license expire, uh, knowing I could probably get this back, but it's going to cost me a lot and be just a, just a headache to get it done. I let that go. We sold our house, let that go. We just left it. And I said, I'm not, I don't want the temptation. If we still have a house in, in Oklahoma and I still have my teaching license, if things don't go well, I can always go back to this. I think about what happened just right over here behind me, right over here on the shores of Capernaum. When Jesus called those fishermen, they walked away from their boats. Talked about this a few weeks ago. When he called the tax collector, Matthew, he walked away from his tax booth. There was no going back. They threw out their backup plan and they went for it with Jesus. So let me, let me just give you this push. Maybe you've been holding on to something that's a little too comfortable. You feel that it's time to take that step. Throw out your plan B and go for it. And number four, maybe the biggest step of all, you have to get out of the boat. You can have all the plans you want. You can have all the boldness you want. You can even get rid of your backup plan. At some point, you've got to get out of the boat. Peter stepping out of the boat to get on the water and walk might be the most ridiculous thing we read in scripture. It's one thing for Jesus, who's God in flesh, to walk on water. But Peter, again, was just as human as, as I am and you are. And here he is getting out of the boat to walk on water. You can plan, you can dream, you can say all you want, you can do all that you want. But until you actually do it, none of that matters. Maybe the risk will fail. For Peter, it worked for a little bit and then he sank. Maybe it'll fail. Maybe you'll only halfway succeed, but you're not gonna know until you try. Peter might have sank, but he had the courage to take a step on the water. He had a, a courage to get out of, out of the boat and walk towards Jesus, not knowing what was going to happen. So let me ask you a question. What's a risk that you have considered taking lately? Maybe it's a small one. Maybe it's inviting your neighbor to church and you're trying to work up the courage to do that. Maybe it's starting a, a Bible study in your house that you can invite a coworker to because they've got questions and you're not real sure how to answer them, but you feel like you're supposed to anyway. Maybe that's your risk. Learning how to tell somebody about Jesus. Uh, maybe for you, you've been coming to the church for a little while. Maybe you have been uh, watching online for a while. Maybe your, your risk is coming to the church. Maybe it's getting baptized. Maybe it's serving. Maybe it's just taking that next step with Jesus you don't know how it's going to turn out because you've never done it before. Maybe for you, it's, it's something bigger. Maybe you're like Abraham, who, who was living in the land that his family had lived in for centuries. And God called him at an old age and said, forget everything that you know. Leave your family and everything you've ever known. I'm going to take you on a journey to a new land. Maybe it's something, maybe it's something like you're supposed to go to ministry. You're supposed to leave what you're doing, whatever age you are. Maybe you're a high schooler watching this. Maybe you're somebody like me, and I was in my late 20s, almost 30. 
when God said, I want you to go into ministry, so go to Bible college. Learn. Learn more than you think you know now so that you can step into ministry. I don't know what it is, but whatever the risk, trust God. Don't trust yourself, trust Him. Put your faith fully in Him. Pray through it. Don't be rash and just drop it all and leave right now. Pray through it. Make sure it's what God really wants you to do, not just what you want to do yourself, because that's where I got myself in trouble before. I wanted to do this in the name of Jesus. It wasn't my time. It wasn't the time or the place to do it just yet. So pray. Ask somebody else to pray with you. Ask for God's clarity on this. Because this is something that could change not just your life, but the lives of people around you too. So here's your takeaway. It should be obvious at this point what it is. Have the boldness to take a risk for God. Start this week. Think about what you can do. A new chance, a new opportunity. Uh, something you can do at the church, through the church, in your neighborhood, in your places of work, in your schools. What can you do for God this week that takes a risk? And what can you do that grows your faith? Let's pray. Father, we're, we're so grateful for Jesus. God, I'm grateful to get to be here in this place where he walked, to be here on this lake where so many amazing things happen. God, God, I pray that, that as, as we, we listen to this word from this place today, God, we would grow our strength and our boldness and our courage in you and through you. God, I pray for anybody today who is stagnant, who is complacent, Lord, that you would give them the courage and the strength to step out in faith for you. God, I also pray too for those who are in the middle of taking a risk. God, maybe they're taking a risk and, and you've called them to do this and, and it's not going well right now. Give them the courage to continue on or the peace of mind to walk away. Let them know what their next step should be. God, sometimes we need a little more clarity than other times. God, sometimes we just need the push. Whatever it is that we need today, Lord, help us to see it, to find it. God, help us to continue to grow through you so that we can do amazing and mighty things, just like Peter who failed time and time again. But God, he didn't stop. He didn't put it all away thinking, I guess this isn't for me. He kept on. And because he kept on, you grew his faith. And God, through him, the world came to know you. So God, help us as we find ourselves being called to step out onto the water with you. We pray this in Jesus' name.